This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Into hour number two. It is Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. From the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Cracked foundation, bowling foundation walls. We have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement. You visit dlbasementsystems.com. Hour one. The best of the rest. What's still out there for NHL free agents? Jays start off the series against Chicago in the south side with a win over the White Sox yesterday. And Alec Manoa set to rejoin the club on Friday. We'll get the start against the Detroit Tigers. We dove into all the Blue Jays storylines with our pal Arden Swelling from Sportsnet and the At The Letters podcast. You can catch anything you missed in hour one. Up on the pod, wherever you get your favorite podcast, they go up moments after every hour finishes here on Sportsnet 960. Coming up in hour two, still lots to get to. We will uh, start things off in just moments with a Stamps report. Get the latest from McMahon as the Stamps get sent. Take on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Winnipeg this week. We'll also hear from Flames assistant coach Mark Savard. Back with the Calgary Flames organization. Joined the morning show a little bit earlier on today. We got a Jays report still to get to. And we'll continue uh, our look around some of the busier teams in NHL free agency. Ian Mendez, who covers the Senators for the Athletic. Also part of the Athletic Hockey Show. He'll join us uh, a little bit later on here in hour two to dive into what's next for the Ottawa Senators. Corpus Salo in. Still waiting on a Debrinket trade. Are they a contender for Vladimir Tarasenko? We'll get into all of that and more with Ian. We'll chat with him coming up in just a bit here. Uh, we'll kick things off this hour. Like I mentioned, heading to McMahon Stadium. It's time for your Thursday, excuse me, your Wednesday edition of the Stamps Report with the latest day of the Stampeders matchup against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This, this is the Stamps Report with Patrick Duma. Last day of practice here in Calgary before the Stamps ship off to Winnipeg for their Week 5 matchup. Before we get a look at Wednesday's practice, Coach Dave Dickinson joined the big show, and a question we proposed to him was, other than himself, who was the most famous person he went to high school with? Well, I went to high school with Ryan Leaf. Uh, There you go. Okay. That's not terrible. Um, Nope, not terrible at all. Yeah, so he, uh, we don't stay in contact a lot, but... uh, Um, yep, grew up about two blocks from him, and he was about three years younger than me, so we had the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th deal. So um, definitely remember it. I'm sure he's um, he's well known for different reasons, but yeah, that's probably the the one that I that 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 I got. Uh, he's definitely a guy who obviously uh, had some uh, personal issues that he's overcome, and he's actually done really well for himself as an analyst. Do you listen to a lot of his stuff? Like, because I think I think he does a terrific job. 
He and he'll sometimes, you know, he'll sometimes throw out a reference. Doesn't even say it by name on myself. But basically, you know, I, uh, I, I was kind of the underdog. I was smaller. I didn't have a lot of physical talent, mm-hmm. and uh, had a pretty good career. And then Ryan has, you know, he's six five more the physical alpha dog and and he had a good career too and it just didn't work out in the nfl uh, but uh, but yeah he uh you know we were so much different and he he talks about you know maybe living or or following a guy that's tough when you get compared to certain things and mm-hmm. and uh people i think in montana it's easy to root for the underdog in any sport but i always felt like i had great support and um yeah i do listen to him and i like i said i'm glad he's back up on his feet and doing his thing and uh it's not that I avoid him or anything like that. It's just our paths haven't crossed in a long time. Of course, Dave hails from Great Falls, Montana, about four hours south of Calgary. He and Leaf both attended Charles M. Russell High School. Wednesday's session was our final look at the team before they fly out on Thursday. And with injuries mounting at receiver, two first years in Rice and John and third-round pick Clark Barnes joined Mark and Michelle in seeing first-team reps. Here's Dave Dickinson on the mounting injuries for this club. He's working hard, though, so I'm... Glad that he's doing that and uh, like him to be an option. We'll see. Um, Bryce Bell also was, was seen at left tackle. Well. Yeah, we're repping. We're, we're a couple guys are feeling it a little bit, and also we're trying to be better. So uh, happy that he's working all three uh, positions: center, guard, and tackle. It's a lot on his plate, but uh, he's a young player that I think. Uh, his ceiling is high. Reggie Bagleton participated in his third straight practice since being activated off the, the six-game injured list, while Luther Hakunavanu sat out his third straight doing individual drills along the sideline. Week 5 will also likely see a new name in the return game as a laundry list of names took reps in place of the injured Peyton Logan. Mark did it a long time ago. Um, we, we definitely, Floyd had a good last preseason game. Um, I think Clark has done some things. Uh, Moxie has taken reps back there. We are we set on one guy? Probably not. But we'll uh, we'll mix and match. Avante Bellamy uh, is working towards that. If I can get him on the roster, um, so those are some guys that I I'd like to look at. May not all be this week, but uh, soon. Even without Peyton Logan, the Stamps have a good group to work from. Quarterback Jake Mayer is in his first full year as starting quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders. Actually had his first start of last season at IG Field, and he spoke to us about how much a win in the peg would mean to this group. It would mean a lot. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It would mean a lot. Um, that's a, it's a hell of a place to play a football game. Um, and, uh, you know, it can give us some good momentum and, uh, you know, be good for our team who, you know, have gone through some things early in the year, adversity, injuries, whatever it may be. Um, that'd be awesome for us. You'll have to go back five years, almost to the day, July 7th, 2017, for the last Stampeders victory in Winnipeg. The team leaves for the peg on Thursday and will be ready to do battle with the defending West champs on Friday evening at 6.30 p.m. With your Stamps Report, I'm Patrick Dumas. Thank you, Patty. Appreciate that. And we move from the Stamps Report to more on the Calgary Flames. Uh, finally, a chance to uh, sit down on the station with uh, new assistant coach Mark Savard. Rejoining uh, the Calgary Flames organization as an assistant coach on Ryan Huska's staff. He sat down with Julian McKenzie and George Rustic earlier on this Wednesday to chat about the opportunity to come back with the Calgary Flames and what he's looking forward to being on the bench with Ryan Huska this season. Here's Mark Savard in conversation with Rustic and Julian McKenzie a little bit earlier today on the big show. But right now, he is the new assistant 
well, assistant coach uh, for your Calgary Flames. Um, we say good morning on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to Mark Savard. Savvy, how are you, pal? Not bad. How you doing? Long time no chat. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, for, for our listeners who don't know, you did a terrific job doing Leafs Nation pre- and post-game with Gord Stelic for the 2018-2019 season. Uh, and, any fond memories working with one of the best guys in broadcasting and Gordy Stelic? Oh, yeah. We had some, some fun, that's for sure. Uh, he taught me a lot, and uh, yeah, it was a nice time uh, riding with Gord for sure, and a lot of laughs were the big thing, but a uh, great time and, and learned a lot from him for sure. Uh, what about some of the meals you guys used to crush? I do recall that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we ordered for a lot more than two people. I'll tell you that. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, and yeah, it was, <laughs> it was something I'll never forget. But uh, yeah, he's a great human, and uh, I miss Gordy for sure. Yeah, you did a uh, terrific job uh, doing those pre- and post-game shows. I uh, wanted to ask you, when you got the call for this new gig, uh, who gave you the call, and what was your reaction? Um, it was, it was Craig Conroy. Um, you know, I, I had interviewed, I think, I don't think there's any secret to get the head coaching job there. Um, didn't go, you know, totally my way in that regard, but, uh, it was, uh, it was great, uh, going through the interview process and, you know, just, at the, and I interviewed in a lot of other, uh, a lot of other teams in the NHL and it came back to the same thing. You know, I needed more, um, more time, you know, or being a coach. So, uh, came, and so I didn't think junior was going back to junior was going to help me. Uh, you know, Connie had said, you know, we'd love to have you as an assistant still and up trying to talking to, to Husk, the new coach, Ryan Huska. And uh, he seems like a great human. So it was a nice fit. And, uh, obviously I played there for three and a half years. I really love the city Two of My kids were born there and it just, it just made total sense. So, uh, and then that's how it kind of came to fruition. And, and then I worked with Donnie and Connie and got the deal done. So uh, we're really excited to, to come back to Calgary. So what was so enticing about uh, taking on this opportunity uh, to be an assistant coach with Calgary fans? We know you have the familiarity with the city, but what, what about the team itself and other factors made this uh, job opportunity so enticing to you? Well, on paper, uh, you know, the, the team, uh, you know, I've played on the championship team, you know, and I've almost coached one. It, it just looks like it has an opportunity to win here. I, I really think I can bring a lot to that, help that offense uh, a lot, especially on the power play. And I think it, it just makes sense. I, I, I feel really confident on paper of what we have and with some, some new, new uh, stuff from Husk and myself and the whole staff. I think that uh, we'll get these guys, you know, having fun again is number one, and then just just and then just trying to be be offensive at times and and, and score goals. We got guys on paper that can do it, but we're, I mean, def- defense is how you're going to end up winning championships. We all know that, but we got to be able to score goals, and I think that's going to be a big thing. And I think fans are going to appreciate it. We know in your time in Windsor, you've had some playoff success, but one thing that stands out to me, looking at at least the last two years with your team you've been in charge of a team that's been near the top, if not at the top in terms of goals scored Uh, in terms of your offensive philosophy, what would you, for those who might not be familiar as best as you can explain, what would you say that is? Well, yeah, like you mentioned uh, last year, I think we we had 330 goals for, which was second in, in the CHL. And then the year before we had 310, which was first in the OHL. So, you know, a lot of it, believe me, is is just relationships with the guys and 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 letting them feel free as they come across the blue line, not gripping the stick, you know, but having that understanding that you know when you make a mistake, I'm not going to come and yell at you ten times that you you turn the puck over. 
be responsible, put your head down and track back, get back. You know, we all, I want these guys to make plays. Uh, I'm a real believer in that. And I think when they, when they feel confident in themselves making plays, no, they're not going to get yelled at every second they make, make a mistake. I think it goes a long way. So I think it's as simple as that for that part. I mean, obviously I've got some, some stuff offensively that, you know, I, I like to, to show them and work on, but again, it's just, I think that's the biggest thing is letting them feel free to make plays when they get over the blue line, but having that awareness that, you know, I got to be responsible defensively if I, if I make a mistake. Uh, Savvy, you're not that far away from playing in the actual league. How much has it changed offensively since even when you were playing in the league? It's changed a lot, especially, you know, with the more video and the more power play, uh, you know, breaking out and, and, and situational stuff and, and, and just, Different, different ways to attack, and, and obviously teams are, are, are killing differently now too. They're, they're watching more video, learning more stuff. So there's a more strategic part to it than when I played. I remember, you know, we just kind of this is what we did every time, and we kind of got in the zone and you know made a couple passes and tried to get in the net. So there's more structural stuff. Um, but again, that's where I think I'm a little bit different still. I like to let them free themselves up. You know, we're going to have obviously where we like to be at times on the power play and how we like to break out. But again, I, I like the creativeness to, to keep it uh, a little real for the guys and, and they're able to make plays because that's why they're on power plays. That's why they're in the best league in the world. They're, they're, they're amazing players and I want them to use that creativeness, uh, you know, when they're playing. Uh, the new assistant uh, coach for the Calgary Flames, Mark Savard, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960 The Fan. Savvy, how excited do you work with Jonathan Huberto? Really excited. Obviously, he was one of my first calls uh, once once I got the job, and, and Husk asked me to reach out to him, and we had a really good conversation, you know, for about forty minutes. And he expressed to me what you know what he'd like to see more, and, and I expressed to him that I'd like to see him do that more. So it was a great conversation. I think he's excited to get back, and 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 you know, obviously throw last season in the garbage and. And, and move forward to back where he knows he can be. So I think you're going to get a different Jonathan Huberto this year. I think he's going to be excellent, and I think he'll, he'll double his point totals again like he, like he knows he can. And it was a great conversation. I, me and him are very similar hockey players. He's a little bigger than me, obviously, but you know we're both pass-first type mentalities, and, and uh, we see the ice really well. So we just want to get him making plays again and having fun coming to the rink, and it, it, it'll change. I, I guarantee that he'll have a, have a big season for us. How much of your job do you think will have to, you know, spend time on, on making sure Jonathan Huberto has fun? That seemed to have been a, a really big distinct thing with him last season. It's one thing to look at his point totals, but he genuinely just didn't look like he had all the confidence in the world. Yeah, I, and I, I think that was the first thing I said to him when I called. Listen, I, I like to have fun first and foremost, and my guys in Windsor know that when I coach, even right through to when I was in St. Louis for the year, and I said, if we're not going to have fun, I'll, I'll quit first. So, <laughs> so that was kind of how I started the conversation. He got a chuckle out of that. So, yeah, uh, he's just got to have fun again, and, that, and with, with fun comes confidence, and everything starts to fall back into place. But, again, he, he, results, as us as offensive guys, we want to get results, and once the results start coming, and hopefully we get them early, and, and, and that'll get the confidence right back, and, and Jonathan, uh, no doubt, will hopefully have another big year. Uh, is there anyone else on uh, the Flames you're looking forward to working with? Well, I think Cod, you know, Kadri, uh, Lindholm, um, you know, the young kids too, uh, you know, Maja Pani. The list goes on up front, and I'm only talking about forwards because that's kind of where I'm of course. going to be most of the time. But, yeah, there's a big list of, of guys that, I, that I'm really excited to work with 
and uh, you know, even Dubé, and, and you know, I, I don't want to miss anybody out, but Backlund, it's it's going to be a real exciting group, and I, I really think believe this team could win with a you know, uh, with a different mindset here. I think you're going to see a different Calgary Flames this year. And, and with the way uh, Husk has been talking to me and, and the staff, it, it seems like we're going to play a little bit more exciting hockey, and uh, hopefully that turns into uh, a lot more wins. Um, how important is it for you in Husk to kind of make this a, a more player-friendly organization? Not that it wasn't before, but we know that under Daryl, uh, it was a lot tougher, and maybe some guys love playing for Daryl. Some guys really didn't particularly like playing for Daryl. How important is it to, to be player-friendly now in the NHL than maybe it was 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, when I took over in Windsor, it's a great question. I just I was a positive guy. I've always been a positive guy throughout my career, and I really brought that positivity to Windsor. Uh, you know, two years in a row, we finished first in the West. Uh, last year we weren't supposed to have a great team and, and we were able to manage to, to win the West again. And I, I think that's just the new, new, new age. It's just, you know, having good relationships with the guys, um, you know, making them want to come to the rink. You know, my guys didn't want to leave the rink and I know it's junior hockey and their buddies, but you know, it was that point where, you know, me and the trainer had to get the guys out of the rink at some nights cause they were just, they just wanted to stay cause they, they really enjoy themselves that much. So, you know, we got to make an environment like that for them to come in every day and obviously learn and get better is, is the most important part. But you, it comes naturally after, you you know, you just love being there. You love working and you love doing your job. Uh, everybody has a better time and you get better results for it. So I think that's a big thing for me. I don't love a lot of negative video. Uh, you know, I'm a positive guy, you know, the power play that has a tough night. You know, I'm, I'm showing power plays where we were great and, and keep them seeing stuff that that makes them feel confident. And, and I think that's the new age and, and that's where I'm headed with my coaching. And, and um, I think Husk is on the same page. Uh, you mentioned uh, potentially being excited to, to coach guys like Elias Lindholm and Michael Backlund. It just so happens that both their futures seem to be very much up in the air right now. I'm just curious uh, if it's gotten to this point, how much have you had to try to sell the vision of what you're trying to build for this offense to those guys? Yeah, you know, Connie takes care of that kind of area, but um, you know, we uh, you know we've we've had chats, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of an area where I, I think they they they're going to end up coming back. Obviously, they're signed, uh, and once they maybe see the culture change and and having fun again and winning hockey games, and Calgary's an unbelievable city. Fans are amazing, and I think once it all comes together, no one's going to want to leave. That's the kind of projection I have, the vision I have. Um, and I can remember playing there through the good times. It was an amazing place to play. So I think that's where we got to get to. Um, and, you know, I think Connie, you know, is doing his job trying to get some something done with them. But, again, I think if, it, you know, at the end of the day when they come back to play, I think they're just going to have such a great time that I think they're going to want to be Flames again for, for a long time. Uh, Savvy, how exciting is the challenge playing in this division with the Stanley Cup champions, the guys up north with, obviously, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, the Kings, making a big move too, the Kraken on the rise. Like what kind of a challenge do you guys anticipate this season playing in what I think is now probably the best division in hockey? Yeah, you said it. It's going to be a challenge every night and we got to be ready to go every night and, and, and get our best out of our players. And again, and that's how you get the best you get, you know, you get rolling, you get some wins and no doubt there's going to be some tough games, some tough matchups. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, you know, with the staff we put together with not only Husk, Lambert, and uh, McLean, and, and uh, LeBer, the goalie coach LeBer, I don't even know how to say it, but anyway, uh, yeah, I think we're going to have a good game plan every night. 
we're going to have fun, like I said, and with fun comes winning, and, and it'll just snowball from there. But, again, it's going to be tough every night. We're going to have some challenges out there. But, again, when I look at our team on paper, we're as every good uh, bit as good as the other one, so I'm excited. Sorry, were you trying to say Jason LaBarber's name? There you go, LaBarber. <laughs> yeah, we got you. We got you. We, we got, got you. you. Here's all to make sure. I want, I want to get we're just bouncing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get back to 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 your philosophy about being positive and and having fun with the guys. I mean, obviously, you mentioned in terms of the uh, the video and and what you're showing to those guys and and how you're talking to those players in order to get that positivity. Is there anything else that maybe you do off ice with with players typically uh, that also helps in that aspect? Uh, yeah, I think you know video, a little bit of video, but again, keeping it positive, showing them you know not show them what they've done already that's good that they they're they're doing bad at sometimes if you understand that like not not showing them because they turned the puck over here show them when they made a good play from where their exact spot was or you know just showing them those positive clips or maybe it's scoring goals or making plays and and just uh really building them up so they feel great and i think that's why and and, and i coach Wyatt johnson obviously he led the league in scoring the ontario hockey league he won the player of the year uh in the ontario hockey league and then last year I had Matt Maggio won the scoring title. He won the player of the year in the Ontario Hockey League. So it's just building up their confidence, making them feel good about themselves and, and being real positive. And I think you're going to see a lot of changes in our in our uh, top guys for sure. Uh, Savvy, before I let you go, if our listeners want to get down a rabbit hole, uh, they should check out YouTube. Uh, you did taping twigs, uh, which is great. You have all these uh, big-time NHLers, and now they tape their stick. Is Mark Stone's tape job the most absurd one in the NHL? Well, waste about a box of tape for so it's expensive. But yeah, no, it's uh it's a big, big boy and uh yeah, it was it was a long that was I think it was a two hour show, so you may want to skip that one. Oh, boy. Uh, but no, it was I I had a lot of fun doing it, but I don't do it anymore, but I still get reached out a lot to, to get going again. But maybe someday when this all comes to uh an end the coaching I'll I'll get back into it. Uh where are you at with candy cane tape on the blade? Do you have to be like a superstar to have that done? Or like can a fourth line grinder have candy cane? Uh, you're only your top fourth liner can skate around the candy cane. I, I wouldn't play. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, real quick too. How's the golf game before I let you go? Golf game is an unbelievable. One. I'm in my club championships coming up this weekend. I'm back to, to actually, I'm having a good summer and it's okay. been a lot of fun. And I appreciate you guys having me. No, no problem. Uh, Mark Savard, the new assistant uh, coach of the Calgary Flames. Savvy, great stuff. Uh, we'll catch up during the season. Thanks for this, pal. Thanks, man. Okay, okay. Take care. Nice. Take care. Mark Savard, newest member of the Calgary Flames coaching staff, joining Dan Lambert and Kale McLean under new head coach Ryan Huska. Glad we finally got a chance to chat with Mark. Uh, he did so on the Out Speech and Sports Bar guest hotline with George Russick and uh, guest host this week on this program, uh, Julian McKenzie, filling in for our own Matty Rose. So good to hear the guys chatting with Mark Savard. I think he's really going to bring a, uh, a good offensive tempo. We talked about, you know, him as. Opportunity and his feeling, you know, getting to go coach with guys like Huberto and, and get the team going in a in a more offensive direction. I think that's got to be you know music to a lot of Jays fans' ears after uh, what was a difficult year for the Flames when it came to putting the puck in the back of the net. One more uh, report to get to before we get out of here. This segment uh, we mentioned the Jays and the White Sox back in action tonight. Uh, intern Ben's got today's Jays report. How's it going? Inter Ben here with you for today's Jays report. Before Tuesday's game, Blue Jays manager John Schneider announced that Alec Manoa would return and start on Friday after spending some time in the minor leagues. 
During the game in Chicago, the Blue Jays took an early 2-0 lead with a double from Whit Merrifield. Now Whit Merrifield. Swings at a breaking ball, loops it into left field, a base hit near the line. Belt is in to score. Vladdy's coming home. He scores, and it's 2-0 Toronto. The White Sox would later take a 3-2 lead from a Luis Robert home run. But in the top of the eighth, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. answered back with a homer of his own. The 2-1. That's hit up the right field line, headed towards the corner, back at the wall, and it's gone! Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with a go-ahead homer in the eighth. And the Blue Jays have a 4-3 lead on the south side. This homer will give the Blue Jays a 4-3 lead. In the bottom of the ninth, Jordan Romano came in and struck at the side for the save and secured the Blue Jays with the win. And he got him. Jordan Romano strikes out the side. The Blue Jays hope to continue the momentum tonight as they take on the White Sox once again at Guaranteed Rate Field. Jose Barrios will be taking the mound against Lance Lynn. That's your Jays report. I'm Ben, and you're listening to Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate that. Uh, around the corner, Ian Mendez from The Athletic joins us for talking all things Ottawa Senators around the corner. Sportsnet Today continues here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, final segment of our two. Logan Gordon along with you. Thanks for tuning in, whether live or on the podcast. Couple days since NHL free agency opened up back on Saturday. We continue uh, our look around the league at some of the more intriguing teams since the NHL's offseason uh, began. Talked a little bit Maple Leafs yesterday with our pal Brent Gunning from Sportsnet 590 The Fan in Toronto. And staying in Ontario for our conversation today. Very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Help us chat all things Senators. He's a senior writer for The Athletic and a co-host on The Athletic Hockey Show. Joining us this afternoon is Ian Mendez. Ian, thank you for the time, man. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm uh, I'm doing fantastic here. How are you? I'm great. Thank you uh, for the time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, it was an interesting offseason for the Senators, but still feels like that uh, that big question still uh, leaning over the head of Pierre Dorian right now, and that's the future uh, of Alex Dabrinkit. Is it fair to say that we're still sort of waiting to see what this Sens offseason looks like until that trade gets done? Yeah, that's, that's really fair, Logan. I think it's a, a situation where... Um, and, and, you know, for your listeners or people that are listening in Calgary, they would remember exactly how last year, last summer played out with Matthew Kachuk, right? Where Matthew Kachuk expressed his, uh, you know, sentiments to, at the time, the general manager, Brad, for living and said, look, uh, we're going into our last year of team control. I know arbitration is coming. I just, I just don't see myself signing here long term. It's best for everybody if we, we make a move. And if you remember last year, Around the draft, there was buzz with Matthew Kachuk get traded. Didn't happen. Free agency open. Didn't get traded right away. And then a couple of weeks went by, and then finally, I think it was on a Friday night in, in late July, mm-hmm. that that trade went down. And so I kind of think that that pattern will repeat itself with Debrinket. I don't know that we'll get to late July. I, you know, I, I wonder if we don't get this done in the next week or so. Uh, but but absolutely, it, it's kind of holding up Ottawa from doing anything else because you don't know exactly how much cap space you're playing with. You don't know what pieces you're getting back and what other holes you need to plug. So, um, 
you know, I think there's a few teams in this boat. Uh, New Jersey's, pro- oh, sorry, uh, Winnipeg is probably like this with, with Connor Hellebuck. Some other teams are wondering uh, what they're going to do with, with, with players, John Gibson and Anaheim. Like, you know, Ottawa's not the only team in this boat, but certainly, uh, you know, given DeBrinket's uh, contractual situation, everything, there is a little bit of a time crunch here because there's an arbitration date at some point on, uh, on the horizon. How disappointing is it for, for Sens fans, Ian, that this is going to be the outcome for, for Dabrinkit? Because I remember last year being one of the people, I'm sure like yourself, that was really impressed. It seemed like a really savvy move by the Sens to bring in this young, dynamic scorer. He's got a 40-goal season under his belt. It obviously didn't work out as anyone in Ottawa had planned last season, but i got to imagine there's a level of disappointment that it's only going to be one year for Alex Dabrinkit and he's going to have to find uh, a new home next year. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, look, at the time of the trade, you got to put everything into a little bit of context. Ottawa at the time was a, a team that, you know, was not adding players, right? For years and years, it was the rebuild. You know, the acquisition of the Brinkett was supposed to be sort of the signaling of a new era. And then, you know, a few days later, they signed Claude Giroux. They, they, they did a lot of bold, aggressive things last year. And I think, you know, they, they acquired the Brinkett and they paid a big price for him, a first-round pick, a second-round pick, a fourth-round pick. Um, you know, but, but there was always the feeling like, uh, you know, his, his contractual situation is, is, uh, you know, undetermined beyond that one season of, of, of being under contract. And there was another season of being an RFA, you know, with our brights. And so it, it was a gamble. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out the way it would have ideally worked out for Ottawa is the Brinkett comes in, he scores 35 to 40 goals. He helps Ottawa make the playoffs. Everyone's happy. He 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 loves it here. He he says, you know what? I'm I'm in for seven years, eight years, whatever. The way it actually played out was um, he had a, a down year by his standards. It would be a very good year for a lot of people. Some people would have a 27 goal season and say, wow, I can't wait to get paid. Alex Dabrinkit had a 27 goal season. A lot of people thought, wow, this guy uh, didn't quite click uh, in Ottawa. So uh, unfortunately, he you know, according to Pierre Dorian, expressed at his season-ending meeting that he was ready to probably do what Matt Kachuk did last year, which was say, I want to test the market as a UFA. You may want to, you know, explore your options to make a trade. Maybe we can do a sign and trade. And that's kind of where we, uh, where we sit today. Uh, for our listeners out here, maybe who haven't been as close to it uh, as yourself, Ian, what makes sense in a return for, for Pierre Dorian? We know out here in Calgary, even with the Tyler Toffoli trade, the winger market seems to be an odd one right now as far as what you're going to get in return, but there also isn't many, if any, options that are, you know, Alex Dabrinkit's age and resume out there. What what makes sense for Pierre Dorian here to try to get in return and bring back for Alex Dabrinkit? Yeah, good question and great comparable, right? Because the Toffoli return probably left a lot of people wanting a bit more in Calgary, but you got to remember, right? Defoe's only got one year left on his on his deal. He's a little bit older. Uh, you know, look, DeBrinket's younger. He's a lot younger. He's mm-hmm. you know 25 years old, and and a guy that if you can get him on a sign and trade, that's going to maximize the return, right? Like it's like Matthew Kachuk last year. Uh, I thought, and again, hindsight being what it is, uh, yeah, sure, Huberdeau and, and, and Mackenzie Weger maybe didn't have this. Uh, the season of Huberto in particular that, that, that people would have wanted. But I think under the circumstances painted into a corner, True Living did pretty well in getting two legitimate NHL pieces uh, for his roster. But that was all predicated on, on Matthew Kachuk signing a, an eight-year contract extension with, with Florida. 
I don't know what the, the scenario will be. Like, if they can work out a deal, and, and, you know, Detroit's the one team that comes up repeatedly. You know, if they can get DeBrinket on a seven-year deal, eight-year deal, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility you can ask for a first-round pick back for next year plus at least one roster player that can come right in and certainly not to the caliber of DeBrinket, but maybe a, a, you know, a forward in their 20s that, that has some upside. Maybe another piece. Maybe, maybe if Detroit has to dump a little bit of salary, you can find some room for a middle six guy, whatever. But that would be the framework for a deal. I, I think if Ottawa can get uh, a first-round pick plus a young forward with some upside, I think that's pretty much the best they can do under these, uh, these circumstances. Okay, so we talked about, you know, this has kind of uh, been a holdup for Pierre Dorian and until this gets solved, the rest of the offseason is still going to be a bit of a puzzle for the Sens to work around. They were able to get one piece of business done so far in free agency, in, and that's adding a goaltender. Jonas Corposalo comes in. He gets uh, a deal worth $4 million per season over the next five years. Why Jonas Corposalo? Why is this the guy the Sens are willing to commit to uh, to fix their goaltending issues they've had the last couple of years? Yeah, and, and look, the, the goaltending market and the goaltending position, I think, is complete voodoo. Like, like I don't know. <laughs> I don't think any of us, if you watch this sport long enough, I don't think anybody, you know, four months ago could have adequately predicted that the Stanley Cup final would feature, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky playing, uh, you know, up until the final, like a $10 million goalie, and Aiden Hill backstopping a team to the championship, right? Like, it just, yeah. it doesn't, it defies logic. It doesn't make sense. And... So you're left with, like, here's how I come down on goaltending. Like, I think there's, like, four or five elite, elite goalies in this league. And I'm talking, like, Shesterkin, Sorokin, Vasilevsky, uh, you know, guys of that help. Yeah, those caliber guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the guys that you think, you know, they'll probably start 55 games for you plus, whatever. And and you feel like they're, they're, they're competent, solid, capable goalies. Then I kind of feel like there's like 20, 25 guys that can go either way. Some nights they play like those top five guys, and other nights they play the odd time like the bottom five guys, and they're somewhere in between. And I swear I think Corpus Allo fits in. Is, is he's, he's a guy that when he's playing really well, uh, look at how he played with L.A. down the stretch. I think he was like 7-3-1 and one after the trade deadline. Uh, goals, uh, goals against just over two, save percentage around 9-20. Like, he played really well for them, and he played really well for Columbus in the regular season. So the $4 million cap hit for Corpus Allo isn't ludicrous. In fact, it, it, it's not even, you're not even paying him like an undisputed number one, right? Like you're paying him kind of like a 1A guy. When you pay somebody $4 million, I, I think you're saying, okay, you know, it would be great if you could play 45 games for us. Anything beyond that, great, but kind of that, that's my think, feeling on that. The issue on Corpus Allo, of course, is the term. Uh, a lot of people are, are curious. Here's a guy that, you know, a year and a half ago, whatever, had surgery on his hip, had two just disastrous seasons before this one. And, and if you had gone, taken the line back 12 months and said, Jonas Corpus Allo is going to get a five-year contract, you wouldn't have believed it. But here's where we're at. The goaltending market is very thin. It's very soft. Tristan Jari, who's got question marks around himself, just signed a five-year deal as well and, and even more money. Like He yeah. got paid like a legitimate number one, undisputed number one. So... I don't think there's much else they could have done. I, I can see people, I understand why people quibble about the term, but sometimes, and you know this, in Cal, your listeners in Calgary know this, Winnipeg people would know this, Ottawa people know, Buffalo, probably Columbus. To lure free agents into your market 
sometimes you need to add a year to the deal. Sometimes you need to add another 500K, right? And I think maybe that's that's what happened here. Is there a a thought process in in, in Ottawa, too, that, you know, with a a, a defensive core that's going to have Jacob Chikrin there for the entire year, that there's also a a pretty solid group in front of him to to help shelter him a bit now that that decor seems to to have a really solid six. And we'll we'll talk even about Travis Hamnick in there now. I feel like there's a really solid group in front of whoever's in net for the Sens now going forward. Yeah, that's, it's a great point, right? Because, like, again, you go back to the Aiden Hill conversation. Part of that was they didn't need a seven, eight, nine, ten million dollar $10 goalie. They just needed a capable, competent goalie because they played so well. Look at some of the teams last year that had success. Seattle is another good example. Uh, Carolina is a good example. Like These are teams that were super deep, uh, had, had kind of a, a, a good defensive structure, carried the play on a lot of nights, had balanced scoring, and relied less on goaltending, right? So you can you can get by, you think, with, I mean, I think at one point Seattle's goal, I don't even think they finished the year with a 900 save percentage. Like they, yeah. they, they kind of proved that you can win, like you can win with good goaltending. And, and I think for teams like Ottawa, the last few years when your, your five-on-five play until last year hadn't been good, you needed your goalie to bail you out and steal games and, and, and keep you in there, and they just didn't have that. So, yeah, I think that's a fair... That's a fair point to make that with the top four featuring Jake Sanderson, uh, Artem Zub, Thomas Shabbat, and Jake Chikrin. That should that should eat 42 minutes a night somewhere in that neighborhood, 40 maybe even 45 minutes a night that you're eating out of that that top four. So um, that that should help them immensely. And we're talking probably Corpusalo Forsberg for the one two spots heading into training camp at least. Yeah, and, and like I said, um, the way that they've got this paid, uh, as I mentioned, Corpus Allo is a $4 million cap hit. Forsberg's two, 2.75. So if you can get two goalies at you know under $7 million, uh, and, and again, this is all predicated on them being healthy, For sure. uh, and if they play up to their level, that's a pretty good spot to be in, right? You're not, you're not tied up in, in north of 8, 9, 10, 11 million at the goaltending position, again, uh, you're, you're, it's all a risk, right? Unless mm-hmm. you have one of those four guys or five guys that I mentioned, uh, even, heck, look at Calgary. Like, two years ago, Markstrom, you would have said, played like a $10 million goalie, right? But those his three seasons in Calgary kind of feels like the unbelievable <laughs> year, and then they're sandwiched by the two kind of, you know, pedestrian years, right? Yeah. And you're like, which is the Jacob Markstrom we're going to get? And that, that's why he probably falls into that second category of goalies that – some nights it feels like they could go in either direction. 100%. Ian Mendez along with us, a senior writer for The Athletic, covers the Ottawa Senators, co-host on The Athletic Hockey Show as well. We're talking all things Sens as the NHL, excuse me, offseason, uh, now a couple days old since uh, free agency opened up on Saturday. Uh, okay, Ian, no first-round pick for the Sens this year, obviously part of that Jacob Chikrin trade uh, with Arizona, but in the last few years, Pierre Dorian and company, you know, building up this team's prospect pool, a couple of them now, you know, elevating themselves to really important roles in the NHL club right now. Who's left on that list for the Ottawa Senators heading into this year that you've got your eye on? Who's that next young guy on the prospect pool that you're looking to take that step in Ottawa? Yeah, there's only one, really, because, like, like quite frankly, um, all of their guys have, like you said, they've, <laughs> they're they've, there. They've, they've graduated. <laughs> yeah. right? But that's not a bad thing. Like, like Tim no. ha- has has surpassed his ceiling and then some. I think... Jake Sanderson has the potential. Uh, this might sound like hyperbole, but he has the potential to be the most important player on this team, you know, three years from now, four years ago. I, I think that highly of him. So those two guys are just, I feel like the, the, the sky's the limit for them. Uh, and they were both taken in 2020. The guy that we're 
I would say is sort of next in the queue is the third guy that they took in the first round in 2020, which is Ridley Gregg. And, and, and Ridley is an absolute kind of firecracker, spark plug type of hockey player. He's going to, I think he's going to top out as a middle six guy, which is quite all right. I, I don't think he has the skill of, of some of those other guys, but boy, he can, he's just a complete package of what you'd probably want a player to be in the Stanley cup playoffs and playing with a little bit of sandpaper. He can score, but he just hasn't quite stayed either stayed healthy or been consistent enough at the pro level, but he's the guy that's sort of knocking on the door and, you know, and, and Pierre Dorian would point this out. A lot of Ottawa people would point this out. Yeah, we didn't have a draft pick in the first round last year or this year, but in 2020, we had three of them. And we hit two major home runs, grand slams probably, in Stutzla and Sanderson. And we're hoping we have another home run pick in Ridley Gregg, but he, it still feels like he's another, uh, you know, half season away or whatever of, of just kind of establishing himself as a, an everyday NHLer. Uh, obviously, we talked about Alex Debrinkit there, and you know some of the latest news around you know NHL insiders has kind of connected the sends to to Vladimir Tarasenko. If, if Debrinkit is eventually traded in the next couple months, which we're assuming will happen here, Ian, does a, a Tarasenko Ottawa connection make sense to you to help with some of that goal scoring that you'll lose in Debrinkit? Yeah, it does. But the question is, at, at what cost, right? Yes. Like, like, are you paying for the Vladdy Tarasenko? from, you know, four or five years ago when he was kind of, uh, you know, you felt like he was a locking in 35 goal guy, or are you paying for the guy that, you know, and, and, and I think he's done okay, like from the shoulder stuff, but uh, he doesn't drive play like he used to. He doesn't finish like he used to, um, you know, I think as long as you're paying him to maybe be a 25 goal guy, like, and so maybe that number comes in closer to four or 5 million than it does, you know, five or 6 million, you know, we'll wait and see. You know, for Ottawa, a lot of people are saying, how are you going to fill the void of, of, of Alex Dabrinkit and, and the missing goals? Um, you know, they, they lost Josh Norris last season. And, and Norris was a guy who the season before scored 35 goals for Ottawa, got a seven-year contract basically at, at $8 million per, and then unfortunately his shoulder went out uh, a couple weeks into the season. If he comes back and plays the way that he can, the – Absence of the Brinkett will be significantly mitigated because he's a 35-goal guy. I'm not saying he's a lock-it-in-every-year 35-goal guy, but he's shown he's got 35. And he scored 35 goals, I think, in 66 games. So, really, he was kind of scoring at a 40-goal pace uh, a couple of years ago. If he can come back and play the way he does and finish the way he can, um, I think Josh Norris can score 30 goals. And then I think it lessens the not necessarily the need for Tarasenko, but, like, it it maybe it does make you think like is there a cheaper alternative? Can we get by with a Thomas Tatar? Can we get by with somebody else that's available that might not cost us that money? That would be my only concern on Tarasenko. Like I really like him. I think he's a great finisher. But if you look at his last couple seasons, it's not the same. He's just not the same guy he was you know four or five years ago. But in saying that, he's got the ability to put the puck in the net, and if he can do that at a 25 goal rate, and Norris comes back. I don't think goal scoring is a problem for this team with Giroux, Kachuk, Patterson, and Stutzla. Okay, and last but not least, uh, before we let you go here, what have we missed? Is there anything left on this to-do list for Pierre Dorian past what we talked about with Alex Dabrinkit, or is it still like let's wait and see what, what this winds up being for this team? Because I know that's such a big one, and I know we're sitting similar here in Calgary with, with Hannafin and, and Lindholm. Everyone wants to know what's next. It kind of feels like, it's hard to say what's next until you know how, how that thing works out. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a game of dominoes, right? And 
Uh, like I said, there's other teams dealing with this. New Jersey. Uh, why do I keep saying? New- you know, I, keep, I think I keep saying New Jersey because I keep thinking that's where Hellebuck is going. Yeah. And, but 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 Hellebuck in Winnipeg, or you know, I think uh, Brett Pesci in, in Carolina. I'm talking about John Gibson uh, in in Anaheim. Uh, there's there's a lot of places where you're like you know you're waiting for these dominoes to fall, and then there's also some free agents that are have probably been told by general managers. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility. A general manager like Pierre Dorian could have said to Vlad Tarasenko, as soon as we have the brink it done, we can do this for you. Or uh, maybe that's what they're saying in Carolina. Maybe that's yeah. uh, the message that, that Tarasenko has received. As soon as we move Brett Pesci or we do something, we can fit you in. So it's totally a domino game. And, and yeah, and, and Calgary would be near the top of that list, right? With, with, with When you have a player like Hannafin and, and and you're wondering, well, does, you know, does Florida have room for him? Can they get him in there? And, and like, can, can do Claire come back? And all, like, all of these things, uh, we thought, I, and I really thought a lot of this would happen at the draft. And I think that, that was the shocking thing to me, is that we went through the entire draft night, uh, and even day two of the draft, and really there wasn't the, uh, it still feels like there's a dam to be broken, right? For sure. That, that there's a dam to be broken, and like six or seven trades <laughs> will happen. Usually the uh, the draft is the catalyst for that. It wasn't this year, but you know, fingers crossed for for Flames fans, Ottawa fans, uh, you know, Winnipeg, whatever. That that it'll happen in the days ahead. Yeah, certainly gives us some uh, some more intriguing things to look forward to, and usually a, a slower part of the summer. Uh, Ian, really appreciated the chat, man. Uh, that was great. Thank you for your time today. I really do appreciate. it. Hope we can do it again, uh, and maybe as we get a little bit closer to training camp. Uh, yeah, you got it, Logan. Anytime, my uh, my pleasure. Take care. Thanks very much, Ian. Ian Mendez joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. He's a senior writer for The Athletic, covering all things Ottawa Senators, also a co-host on The Athletic Hockey Show, uh, joining us again down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, Corpus Salo is a risk for me, but I, I kind of like how Ian put that. You know, the number you don't mind, $4 million, probably one that you can live with. The five years is where it kind of becomes interesting. And, man, going through all the goaltenders the Sens have had to deal with the last couple of years – you got to think that Pierre Dorian's hoping this is the answer uh, to that problem because it's been a, a rotating door there in Ottawa for whoever's been in goal. And, hey, maybe Jacob Chikrin securing that that decor with Sanderson and Shabbat helps whoever's in goal there, but still feels like this Ottawa team, really the outlook for them is going to depend on whatever happens with that trade for uh, Alex Dabrinkit and who knows when that might happen, sounds like Detroit's in the mix. The Islanders may be in the mix there. What kind of return do you get for a 25-year-old 40-goal scorer? It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, really appreciate Ian taking some time for us this afternoon. we got to get out of here. Uh, we're wrapping up uh, Hour 2 of Sportsnet today. I want to say thanks to my outstanding producers, Cam, Callum, uh, Ben, and Azam, doing outstanding work for us today. Appreciate that. We had a stamps report with Patty Dumas. Ian Mendez joined us, obviously. We had Arden Swelling in Hour 1 chatting all things Blue Jays. Uh, so thank you to all of them for uh, joining with us today. And thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. We will be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Another edition of Sportsnet Today in the books here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.